Well, if you will, uh, now reach for your Bible, and if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Pastor Bruce is going to continue in his sermon series, going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 10 through 12. We're going to be, uh, the title of, of Pastor Bruce's sermon today is Joy in the Midst of Persecution. And uh, we're going to be reading uh, just three verses out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 on uh, persecution and uh, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Bruce, in his, in his first series, kind of gave a little challenge to maybe read through the Sermon on the Mount uh, while he's preaching through it. And uh, I'll, I'll give a plug for that as well as I've been doing that. It's been a blessing to be able to read through that as Pastor Bruce is teaching through that. So uh, follow along as I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word and uh, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Help us to uh, just to, to open our hearts and minds to this, this uh, topic of, of persecution and joy in the midst of persecution and suffering for your name's sake. Help us to just learn and apply in our lives uh, your word. We thank you for your word and thank you for your son and this great sermon that he gave. And help us to learn from it this week and in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, let me just uh, tag team on that with what Zach said and encourage you. If you haven't already, maybe you've done it once, but uh, take time to read through the Sermon on the Mount. As we are in this series, it covers three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7 here in Matthew. And if you sit down and do read it in one setting, on average it takes a person anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes to read it. A little over 100 verses total. And, uh, and so let me encourage you to do that maybe once a week throughout the course of our series here. And, uh, and so we're continuing on. We started this series two weeks ago, and we did an overview of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And then last Sunday, we kind of did an overview of what is commonly known as the Beatitudes, which focus on here in chapter 5, verses uh, 3 through 12. Today, what I want us to do is to laser in and focus specifically on this last Beatitude. This final beatitude. In fact, to read this scripture, to even hear this scripture read as Zach read it for us, and perhaps just for the first time, it's, it's rather shocking to say the least. Listen to it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, notice what happens next. Jesus actually personalizes this beatitude when he uses the pronoun you in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And so the boldness here of what Jesus says, you got to be honest, it, it can take your breath away. Of all the beatitudes... This one, by far and away, is the most radical of them all. And so by definition, persecution involves pain, it involves suffering, and who wants that? I certainly don't. I mean, this is the blessing nobody wants. And yet we cannot skip this beatitude, as it is the logical climax of everything Jesus has said prior 
And it is actually a transition to everything Jesus says next that we'll look at next Sunday in verses 13 through 16. And since it's the longest of the Beatitudes, uh, all the rest of the Beatitudes are one verse. This Beatitude actually encompasses three verses. We can hardly ignore it. You cannot pretend that it's not there. And so we must stop and we must consider what Jesus is saying to his followers in these verses. Persecution. The very words sound cruel and painful and agonizing. And perhaps even now it evokes images of Christians being thrown to the lions. Many women burned at the stake for proclaiming Christ. Pastors tortured until they renounced their faith in Christ. And we know that such things happened in the past. But what about today in the present? Make no mistake about it. We are living in an age of global persecution today. In fact, notice this. In your notes, coming up on the screen behind me, I encourage you to pull out that insert in your bulletin and take notes and follow along. But here's the question. Do you know who the most persecuted group of people in the world are today? The most persecuted group of people in the world are Christians. Those who are citizens in the kingdom of heaven through their faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so if this comes as a surprise to you, that's because this is the most ignored and least reported news item today in the mainstream media. The International Society for Human Rights, which is a secular organization, put out a report that says 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today are directed against Christians. According to the Pew Research Center, Christians face harassment in no less than 102 countries, more than any other religion. Now, we are all aware that for the past 2,000 years, Christianity, the Christian church, and Christians in particular have been persecuted. We know that under Nero, the Roman emperor, thousands of Christians were fed to the lines and even burned at the stake. William Barclay, a commentator, gives this picture when he writes, and I quote his words here, Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch, set them alight, and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them in the skin to wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pinchers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red-hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. We know what it says about the early Christians, even in our own scriptures here. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 and 37. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sewn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. And we know from what Jesus tells us in Matthew 23, 35, that he spoke of all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, which serves as somewhat of a reminder that the list of those who have been persecuted for the Christian faith runs from A 
all the way to Z. But what we don't know is the worst persecution of Christians in history is happening in our lifetime. It's just not reported in the news. It's estimated that more Christians have been killed for their faith in the last century than in any other time in history. David Alton, who campaigns on religious freedom, reports, some assessments claim that as many as 200 million Christians around the world face some degree of restriction, discrimination, or outright persecution. This is about one in ten of the 2.2 billion Christians in the world. He goes on and he says, whatever the real figures, the scale is enormous. Christians face serious violations of religious freedom. Persecution ranged from murder, rape, and torture to repressive laws, discrimination, and social exclusion. And so do you realize that in our, quote, culture of tolerance, which is an oxymoron now, right now, because there is no culture of tolerance, the persecution of Christians is on the rise. Lisa Pierce, who is an executive with Open Doors, a global organization Uh, which devotes its resources to monitoring Christian persecution around the world, writes, In general, persecution of Christians is increasing, and the rate of increase is accelerating. The nature of persecution is also changing. It used to mean several years in a forced labor camp. Now it means watching your loved ones being beheaded. According to Open Doors 2019 Watch List, an estimated 245 million Christians face high, very high, or extreme persecution. That figure, up 30 million from 2018, means one in every nine Christians worldwide experiences high levels of persecution. The new list reveals ominous trends, says Curry, who is the president of Open Doors. During the 2018 reporting period, 4,136 Christians were killed because of their faith. 2,625 were detained or imprisoned, and 1,266 churches and Christian buildings were attacked. No wonder the Bible encourages us, in fact, exhorts us. In Hebrews 13, verse 3, it says, Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. Remember those who are suffering as if you were suffering with them. Now, one way that we can actually do that is to be more informed. Uh, In your bulletin on the screen, you can actually go to the website opendoorsusa.org to learn more about persecuted Christians worldwide, including the 2019 watch list of the top 50 countries where it's most difficult to follow Jesus. I encourage you to go there. What I want us to do for our time this morning is to see what Jesus says, and it's audacious of what he says. It's rather shocking what he says about joy in the midst of persecution. So let's unpack this. Number one, we need to come to the realization, the reality that persecution is expected. The reality of persecution is expected. Until the last few years, America has been relatively exempt from religious persecution. But those days are quickly coming to an end. 
So far, Christians here in America have not felt a level of persecution like those in other countries. But we are being pressured. We are being harassed to conform to the culture around us like never before. We are not yet facing violent oppression, but we are facing verbal oppression, especially from the mainstream media and even social media, to shut up and keep your mouth shut about what we believe as Christ followers, to not stand up for Jesus, and certainly not to speak out in the name of Jesus, but rather just to blend in and fit in with the rest of society. The reality is we're living in the midst of a cultural shift in our country and whether or not we will face violent oppression in our lifetimes no one knows but here's what we do know is that the bible always presents the persecution of christians as the norm and not the exception john stott suggests who is an author Bible commentator, scholar, he writes, we should not be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases, but rather be surprised if this does not. Jesus tells us up front, he minces not his words. He tells us up front that persecution is part of the cost of following him in John 15, 8 through 20. Listen to what he says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, We use Jesus' words there, a righteous life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Jesus assumes something here in the Sermon on the Mount when he gives this final beatitude. He assumes that persecution is the norm for kingdom citizens when he states, blessed are the persecuted. Jesus is telling us that the more a person lives out the virtues of the Beatitudes that we saw last Sunday, the more that person will be persecuted. In other words, this last Beatitude here is the result of the first seven Beatitudes. And yet, you'd think that if you're humble, that if you're meek, if you're pure in heart, and if you're a peacemaker, the world would welcome that kind of person. But that's not the case. If you're living out the Beatitudes, the world will not roll out the red carpet for you. Instead, Jesus is prepping us. He's telling us, be prepared. Persecution is part of it. We should note, though, at the same time, that not every non-Christian or unbeliever hates genuine Christians. Not all individuals and certainly not all institutions that are secular are on a mission to wipe Christians off the face of the earth. In fact, some unbelievers actually see Christians and Christianity as a good thing for society. We read in the book of Acts that the early church enjoyed great favor with people in the city of Jerusalem. 
And yet, at the same time, the book of Acts also tells us that because of the gospel, there also arose up a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And so some towns in the book of Acts found Christians beneficial while others tried to beat them to a pulp. But the fact is that even as Christianity seems profoundly attracted to some, it also attracts persecution from others. Now, since we're talking about persecution here, what is it exactly? How do we define persecution? The word that Jesus used for persecuted means to drive away, means to harass, to treat wrongly. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed are the harassed. And Jesus expands then what that harassment includes in verse 11 when he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. According to the Open Doors USA website, Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian. From verbal harassment to hostile feelings, attitudes, and actions, Christians in areas with severe religious restrictions pay a heavy price for their faith. Beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination in education and employment, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution they experience on a daily basis. Now, Jesus actually identifies for us here in this beatitude three forms of persecution that we as Christ followers can expect. Notice this. First of all, Christ followers will face physical attacks. Physical attacks. To persecute literally means to chase away or to pursue with hostile intent. It's the idea to be hunted down as an animal. This is what happened to the apostles, according to tradition. Andrew was executed by being tied to a cross and left to die. Peter was crucified upside down after spending nine months in prison. Paul was beheaded by Nero. Others have suggested that every one of the apostles was executed except John, who died in exile on the island of Patmos. And so Christ is preparing us. He's telling us this is what you can expect in a form of persecution is physical attacks. Number two, he says, Christ's followers will face verbal insults. This word translated revile means to heap insults on someone. It's to attack or defame someone with abusive words. It's the same word that is used in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when they mocked him and they scorned him. Jesus is telling us that you may find yourself the object of ridicule and scorn. Sometime... It is audible. Other times, it is whispered. Sometimes that scorn and ridicule is in your face. Other times, it is behind your back. So there's physical attacks. There's verbal insults. And then the last form of persecution that we can expect 
is false accusations. Persecution can take the form of slander as well as slaughter. And there are times when the tongue inflicts deeper wounds than any sword, especially when people say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Perhaps the worst type of slander are false accusations aimed at damaging a person's reputation. Now, I doubt any of us will be burned at the stake, but we better get ready to to endure verbal insults and false accusations. You will be called a racist, a homophobic, and narrow-minded because you live in line with the absolute truth of God's word. Just ask our vice president, Mike Pence, and his wife, Karen. It's taken place in the last month to them personally through the mainstream media. You will be accused of hate crimes because you refuse to celebrate homosexuality, gay marriage, and transgenderism, even though you hate no one but, in fact, show mercy to all people. You will be labeled a bigot even though you are more tolerant, more accepting than those who are accusing you of being one. You will be accused of prejudice against women simply because you believe what the Bible teaches regarding the roles of men and women despite the fact that you love your spouse. So here's the question for all of us here this morning. Have you given your reputation to the Lord? Until you do, you will never endure being spoken against. But when you do, remember what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Yes, your reputation may be maligned and slandered here on earth, but no one can touch your reputation in heaven. Thomas Watson once said, persecution is the legacy bequeathed by Christ to his people. But why is this the case? Why is persecution the norm for Christ followers as Jesus is suggesting to us and telling us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this brings us to point number two, and that is the reason. The reason for persecution is righteousness. Look again what he says in verse 10. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Note that Jesus does not call persecuted people blessed. We need to make that distinction. Rather, Jesus pronounces God's blessing on people who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. There are many reasons why people who dislike Christianity. And there are reasons why they might persecute you. But your Christianity may have nothing to do with it. You might... Take a beating simply because you're an obnoxious, belligerent jerk. But that is not blessed. 
Or you might be harassed because you're a self-righteous Christian who blows people away in your witnessing. Turn or burn. You're going to die and fry if you don't trust Jesus. So do not chalk up all hatred and hostility toward you as persecution for righteousness sake when it simply may be nothing of the sort experiencing harassment you bring upon yourself is not persecution for righteousness sake true persecution that jesus is talking about here comes because of righteousness sake or because of jesus sake as he says in verse 11 And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount here, this is the righteousness that Jesus taught in the preceding Beatitudes. It's the righteousness of Christ that we receive as a gift, and then we live out in our lives here on this earth. And the world cannot tolerate such a life. Why? Because such a life is too much like Jesus. And so everyone who identifies with, everyone who acts like Jesus will be persecuted. The world will tolerate good people. But it can't stomach the righteousness of Christ that is reflected in Christians. So why would anybody persecute righteousness, though? I mean, after all, it doesn't seem very offensive. Well, notice this in your notes. Here's the reason righteousness is persecuted. Because the light of a righteous life exposes the deeds of a sinful life. Therefore, a life that is devoted to righteousness will inevitably be persecuted. Those who reject Christ cannot handle a righteous life. For the simple reason, it exposes their sinful life. And so they react to it in varying degrees. Jesus diagnosed this specific condition in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, when he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so what happens is, as you live out the Beatitudes here on this earth as a kingdom citizen, your light shines in their darkness. And so they squint and they put their hands over their eyes and they persecute you simply because they want the light turned off. Your light exposes them for who they are. And they don't want to go there. They hate you because your righteousness stands in sharp contrast to their lack of righteousness. Or their self-righteousness if they're like the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the scribes of Jesus' day. So your very existence, therefore, as as a Christ follower as a kingdom citizen, will oftentimes rub people, unbelievers, the wrong way because it condemns their whole way of life as displeasing to a holy God. Stop judging me, they say, even if you never once said a condemning word. D.A. Carson points out, genuine righteousness condemns people by implication. 
small wonder that people often lash out in retaliation. We will get along great in this world if nobody knows, if nobody ever finds out we're Christ followers. But as soon as we begin to identify with Christ, as soon as we begin to act like Christ and live for Christ and manifest His righteousness, get ready, Jesus says. Persecution is coming. Just live a righteous life and watch what happens. Just shine the light of God's truth and see the reaction it brings. As John Stott puts it, persecution is simply the clash between two incompatible value systems. Sinclair Ferguson is right when he says, real loyalty to Jesus Christ creates friction in the hearts of those who pay him only lip service. Loyalty arouses their consciences and leaves them with only two alternatives to either follow Christ or try to silence him. So here's the question that we were confronted with in this last beatitude. Are you willing to suffer persecution for Christ? Because persecution is the believer's birthmark. And the kingdom of heaven is their promised blessing. Jesus declares once again, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, persecution is blessed because it marks you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It reveals something about you. It reveals your citizenship is in heaven. This means we should not be surprised when persecution comes. In fact, in other words, we maybe ought to be surprised when it does not come. Peter, the Apostle Peter, writes in 1 Peter 4.14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, he says, you know what, you're blessed. Note the contrast when Jesus says in Luke 6.26, woe to you when all people speak well of you. If we never face persecution of any kind, then maybe we should stop and ask ourselves, why? Why is that so? Kent Hughes, pastor and author, gives this reason. By far the greatest reason there is so little persecution is that the church has become like the world. If you want to get along, the formula is simple. Approve of the world's morals and ethics, at least outwardly. Live like the world lives. Laugh at its humor. Immerse yourself in its entertainment. Smile benignly when God is mocked. Act as if all religions converge on the same road. Don't mention hell. Draw no moral judgments. Take no stand on the moral political issues. Above all, do not share your faith. Follow this formula and it will be smooth sailing. So when persecution comes, as Jesus says we should be prepared for it, How then should we respond? Well, we don't react and we certainly don't retaliate. Instead, notice number three, the response to persecution is rejoice. Jesus finally gives, can you believe it, the very first command in his Sermon on the Mount here in verse 12. And it's the word rejoice. It's an imperative. It's a command. 
And we say to Jesus' command here, rejoice in the midst of persecution. What? You got to be kidding, Jesus. You want me to rejoice when I'm being persecuted? And if that is not enough, Jesus adds after that and be exceedingly glad, which simply means to jump and shout with joy like we did for about three seconds last Sunday night when we thought the Chiefs were going to the Super Bowl. I was watching that game with some friends. We were over at Zach's house, and let me tell you, there was about five of us guys in that living room, and we were all high-fiving. We were jumping up and down, and then we saw that demon yellow flag, and we were all deflated. No pun intended. And again, we say to Jesus, Lord, you've got to be kidding. I'm being persecuted, and you want me to rejoice? You want me to be exceedingly glad? Now, this is a shocking command from Jesus. So here's the question. What can possibly justify Jesus giving this command? What could possibly justify the command to rejoice and be glad when we are hated and harassed, when we are ridiculed and rejected and even killed? And make no mistake, Jesus does have death in view here. This is what they did to the prophets of old, and this is what they would eventually do to the disciples. And so Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 24, 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So how? How can Jesus tell us, even today in this century, To rejoice and be glad in the face of persecution. Well, Jesus explains in the rest of verse 12. Look at it. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is why the early Christians rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ in Acts chapter 5. Now, specifically here, Jesus is giving us two reasons for rejoicing in the midst of persecution. Notice it. The first reason is because we are promised a great reward in heaven. The reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we endure on earth. What gave John Bradford the impulse to kiss the stake on which he was burned? What moved Obadiah Holmes after 90 lashes turned his back to jelly to say to the magistrates, you have struck me with roses? Why did Thomas Hardcastle say that persecution is a precious season of grace? Because they knew the promise of this beatitude. They knew there was great reward waiting for them in heaven. True. Yes, it is true. We may lose everything here on earth, but we will inherit everything in heaven. Listen, God will not permit what has been done for His glory here on earth to go unrewarded. 
God promises to give the persecuted a great reward for their suffering. And that reward will be much greater than what we ever suffer here on this earth. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 and 18. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Think about it with me. How? How do you think the afflictions of this life will look to us once we get to heaven? Martin Luther offers this answer. He says, when we shall live in that day, he's referring to the day, the next life in heaven, when the kingdom comes fully, it's consummated, when we shall live in that day, we shall look with wonder on one another and say, shame, that we were not of better cheer, braver, stronger, and more joyful to trust Christ and to endure all tribulations and crosses and persecutions, since this glory is so great, he says. When we finally get to heaven, let me tell you, no one, no one will ever regret having lived for Jesus while they were here on this earth. We'll only regret that we didn't live for him more. And so the first reason to rejoice that Jesus identifies for us is that we are promised this great reward in heaven. But there is another reason to rejoice. And number two, that is because we are actually identified with the prophets before us. Now, before some of you say big deal about that, because we don't have an understanding of this, let me explain. Jesus ends this final beatitude with these words at the end of verse 12. He says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Jesus is speaking here of a line of godly believers that stretches back all the way through history. And Jesus says, Those who suffer for their faith actually join their company and stand in their circle of honor. So imagine with me, you're at Arrowhead Stadium, and you got the the ring of honor around Arrowhead Stadium, right? All those names are up there. Now imagine that it's not Chiefs players, but it's these, these people who suffered for the faith, for righteousness' sake. Their names are there. And Jesus is saying, when you suffer for righteousness' sake, for my sake, your name, you join that ring of honor. Think of their names. Abel. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah, Peter, Paul, and the rest of the apostles. In writing to the persecuted Christians of his day, James encouraged them to look to the prophets as an example in the face of suffering. In other words, the whole idea here is that we should remember the prophets. We should remember other believers who have died serving their Lord, died as martyrs before us. And the idea here is to let their deaths motivate you to live boldly for Jesus and to persevere in the face of persecution. Remember the prophets who were persecuted 
and killed for the cause of Christ in Hebrews 11. Remember what it says about Moses in Hebrews 11.26. It says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Read the testimonies of those who have given their all for Jesus. Consider the children of John Rogers. He was burned alive in 1555 because of his faith in Christ. His children accompanied him to the place of execution and called out encouragements to him through their tears that he might be strong and not turn back and dishonor Christ. Consider the testimony of John Bradford. When he was being burned at the stake in London on July 1st, 1555, he turned to another Christian who was being executed with him, and he said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Consider the last letter of Vanya Mosevev, who was a 20-year-old Baptist soldier in the Soviet Red Army who had been tortured for some time. On July 16, 1972, they went too far and he died. The day before, on July 15th, he wrote to his brother Vladimir, don't tell our parents everything. Just tell them, Vanya wrote me a letter and writes that Jesus Christ is going into battle. This is a Christian battle, and he doesn't know whether he will be back. I desire that all of you, dear friends, young and old, remember this one verse. And then he writes Revelation 2.10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Consider the words of, of the missionary Jim Elliott, who we're more familiar with. In 1956, Jim and four other missionaries were killed in Ecuador. In a few years before his death, Jim wrote these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so Jesus is encouraging, he's exhorting us here to look to the prophets, look to the martyrs, to rejoice and be glad in persecution for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And as we close, let us never forget that persecution actually opens doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance. That's part of why Jesus is telling us what he does here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's preparing his disciples for mission, to go out into the world and fulfill the great commission that Jesus will give them at the end of this book in Matthew. And so perhaps we should pray Oh, Lord, grant me the grace to live righteously for the sake of the gospel. From a prison cell in Rome, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. It's what Paul's telling us is that his imprisonment opened the door for sharing the gospel with people who would not have otherwise remained unheard the gospel and they would have remained unreached. Time and again, we see it in the book of Acts, we see it through the New Testament, we see it throughout history. God has used the persecution of Christ's followers to open doors for the gospel to advance.
Do you realize we are actually living in the greatest age of the church in history? The gospel is exploding around the world at an unprecedented pace and in some of the most difficult places to follow Jesus. Why? Persecution. Persecution. The question for me, the question for you, the question for us as a church is this. Will you follow Jesus no matter what the cost? Will you give your life in complete surrender to the Lord? And if your answer is yes, then I plead with you to hear once again the words of Jesus Christ to you. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for those before us who have suffered and died for your sake. Father, make us strong, to live for you. Give us the grace to stand strong in our faith no matter what the cost. And may we be a church where the light of Jesus Christ never goes out but shines brightly and boldly for the sake of advancing the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Minister Mills is going to play just a chorus here. And as they do, man, would you go to the Lord in prayer? Would you recommit your life? Surrender him say lord help me i my faith is so weak at times and yet i want to follow you i want to live in complete surrender to you give me your grace enlarge and increase my faith to stand strong for you